Welcome back to Edge of Your Seat Podcast. This is episode 39. I am your host, Brandon LaChance. We are in episode 39. So there has been a lot of shows, a lot of different conversations, a lot of guests, but I have not had any in-house except for my dear close friend, Tony. Other than that, all the interviews or phone conversations or not come to my apartment and chill and talk and have a good time, that changes today. I have with me, I don't even know how to uh, label you, a coach, former coach, a uh, Mendota super fan, go to all the games, you're an alum, so I don't know if you're a super fan because you're an alum, I don't know how that works in terms of, of titling, but I am with the awesome, I call you awesome, we're good friends, Pat Beals, thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me, Brandon. I've been listening to your conversations and it's cool to be in one. Definitely, this is going to be a blast. And like I said, you're the first one to actually be here, so I can like look and talk to you at the same time. And I can move stuff out of well, the way. that so doesn't I can scare you out from doing that. <laughs> no, not at all, not at all. And when you came over, you realized you have been here before. My wife shared this apartment with her sister and her, or her brother at one time. I don't know if all three of them were ever here, but uh, yeah, I was here a lot, a long time ago. So, did that uh, rustle some nostalgia and some memories? Or? I told you this before, <laughs> that when the big uh, hailstorm hit Mendota, and I think it was 1985, Holly, my wife, was living here, and uh, I was over on the other side of town because I was living with a friend, and uh, she called, when I was watching the Cubs, I'll never forget this, and she called me up and said, you need to come over here, and I'm kind of like, why? That's a good game, you know? She goes, the windows are all broke out from the hail hitting the windows. So I came over, and she wasn't lying to me, so we, there was glass all over the place, all over the floor. That's crazy. So now I'm going to think of that every time there's a snowstorm or anything like that. Like, hopefully my windows are okay. And, and the other thing about this that I didn't remember, but when I came in and was looking, the windows are set, like, low down by the floor. You wouldn't want to, like, have a problem and, like, fall out crash out the window and end up down on the ground, that could happen. I'm surprised it didn't happen when uh, she was living here sometimes, what was kind of going on here, but... Yeah, there's only a couple feet from the floor to the yeah. bottom of the window seal, so yeah, you're right. Yeah. Well, now I'm going to think about that every time I walk well, into my... <laughs> my well, I hope that doesn't cause anything bad to happen. <laughs> for sure. Well, thanks again for joining us. we got a lot of things we want to speak about. Of course, sports, and like I said, I see you every time that I go to a Mendota event. I think I've seen you pretty much every time I'm there or pretty close, yeah. or we're talking about them if we don't see each other, whether it's text messaging or anything like that. I know Mendota boys, girls basketball seasons, wow, regionals are right around the corner, but I know you've been to a lot of games. What have you seen with the uh, Trojans and Lady Trojans so far this season? Well, last night I saw Mendota boys play uh, LP and uh, LP beat him by 25 points. I've seen several of the girls' games lately. This is a strange night for me, I'm not at a game. If I'm not at a Mendota home game, I don't usually go to the away games, but if I'm not at a Mendota home game, I might be in Rockford at an Ice Hogs game. Uh, I may be in DeKalb at a women's or a men's basketball game. So I go to sports all the time. You know, I saw Mendota girls play last Saturday. I guess that was the last game I saw. But, oh, no, I take that back. I saw them play Monday. They played Plano Monday. And they got a win there, didn't they? Yeah, they won that. They'd lost a couple in a row. 
that one didn't start out good, but they got going in the second half, and Amelia kicked in for 31, and then she missed the triple-double, though. She needed one more steal. She has not had a triple-double. As far as I know, she had 31 points, I think 10 rebounds, and she had nine steals. She needed another steal to get a triple-double. And of course, you're talking about Mendota Jr., Amelia Bromenschenkel. A couple things I want to discuss about her with you. First of all, she moved into number two on the all-time scoring list for Mendota girls basketball. That's pretty epic. I mean, we've had a lot of great players come through this area and this school. You know, she's been playing varsity since she was a freshman, and she scored almost 400 that year. So she's in her third year, and she's got 668 right now. Every year, she's just piling up the points. She passed Sammy Crumb recently, who was second. And St Sammy only played varsity three years. I think she had 1590. So yeah. she had 1590 in three years? Yeah, she didn't have any of her freshman years. So, well, and part of that is because the teams were pretty good, you know, and they didn't really need to bring her up at that point. In some years, she probably would have played varsity. That's why like these scoring things, you know, sometimes there's a lot of good players that aren't on the all-time Mendota scoring list because they didn't play varsity all four years or even three years. Most of the people that have gotten on these lists did that. A lot of good players that only played varsity a couple seasons. So they didn't rack up a thousand points. And when I spoke with uh, Kaylee Klein, she kind of mentioned that because there was a, I can't remember her name and I apologize, but a girl that played with her, I mean, right. she was playing I'm, with Kaylee Klein, so she's scoring points and she's not because she's with Kaylee Klein. Right. And I'm guessing Sammy, you know, played a year with Jackie Bice, who is the, the lead scorer. So... And the other girls that were in Jackie Bice's class were no slouches either. For Jackie to score that many points with playing with all these other good players, uh, they were. That's why they ended up going to state. You know, they were. They had a quite a group. Definitely. When you got yeah. a bunch of players like that, scoring really doesn't matter. You're trying to win games and go to state. I'll tell this story. When Jackie Bice was a freshman, Randy Weibel was the head coach, and he brought her up to the varsity. But the girls in her class, Joe Massini was their coach. I think they only lost one game. Like a, I don't know if that was their freshman. Might have been their freshman, or maybe it was the sophomore. I don't know. But they only lost like one or two games without her. So they were really good. Of course, you're talking about Joe Massini, yeah. who is now the assistant principal. I still can't believe that because when I was at the high school, he was a shop teacher. And now he's getting in the admin role. Yeah, so. I think the first year I coached sophomore ball at Mendota, he was, that was his first year teaching, I think. And, he might have been the sophomore girls coach. So I think those freshmen might have been brought up to the sophomore team. You know, it's, this was a few years ago. You'd have to talk to Joe to get the specifics about that. <laughs> we were talking about it not too long ago. That Usually we talk about the Blackhawks when I'm talking to him now. Gotcha, gotcha. Another thing I wanted to ask about Amelia, since you have seen Sammy, you have seen Jackie Boyce, you have seen the best talent that's come through this high school, where does Amelia stack up? I know we're talking about scoring and she's number two on the list, but that's not all in basketball. Where does she stack up with these names as players? It's easy to remember Amelia now because I've seen her play so much the last three years, but the thing with her that, that impresses me the most is she scores, but she handles the ball well. She's leading the area in rebounding, like 12, point, 12 a game. So she does everything. Like Sammy was a post player. She wasn't handling the ball. Jackie was a guard that could score and 
slash to the hole. And with her athletic ability, probably did get a lot of rebounds. But Amelia does a lot. She's incredibly talented, I think. And I, and I know she has worked very hard. One thing I did notice with the couple games that I've went to this year is her shooting has vastly improved. She is shooting three-pointers with confidence. Like before, I'm not saying she didn't have confidence, but she just kind of put it up and was like hoping that it would go in. Now you see her shoot it, and she's got that look like, okay, we just scored. Let's get on Yeah, defense. I think when she was younger, maybe she just took that shot because they were basically giving it to her. And like now they're not giving it to her, but she has figured out ways to work to get so she can shoot it. And her range has definitely improved. Another thing, though, about her offensive game that I've noticed this year, she can shoot a jump shot off the dribble. You know, if she gets open, she can make that. And that's that's a kind of a skill in boys' and girls' basketball that has gotten lost over the years as I think more emphasis has been on shooting threes and things like that. So that's something that's impressed me about her. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. Creating your own shot and yeah. taking mid, mid-range jumpers and things like that, or even... A lot of teams, a lot of programs, I notice are not even driving that much anymore. Or they just drive to kick out where Amelia's yeah. looking to score. Right. And another thing I think that she's gotten better at is kind of letting the game come to her. I kind of was rushing things sometimes, and I think she's learned to just kind of take her time and not have to go up like full speed all the time. Sometimes you can change your gait and warm your way around and eventually you get around somebody and you get to the hole and then you can draw the fouls and then you know, or get the layups or whatever. And she can use both hands too. So I'm going to leave you with the question that we're going to get back to at the end. And I should have forewarned you, but eh, it makes for better radio not to, or better mm-hmm. podcasting. You listen to the podcast. So I've asked Tom McGonagall, I've asked other people to like make dream teams of you know their teams or players they have coached. So we can get back to this. I'll give you some time to think. But... Eight players, so you can have a starting lineup and three on the bench. They can be boys or girls. From Mendota? From Mendota. Mendota alone. So a team of I'm eight. I'm glad I brought my list of Mendota stuff. <laughs> so a team of All eight right. from Mendota. It can be boys or girls. A team of eight that you would put up against any other eight from this area. So I'm going to leave you, you with want, that. Okay, we, we'll get back to that. We'll later. get back to that. We'll end the show with that, so I got so you All have right. time to think. Let's go move to the NBA. <laughs> okay. I like making the big jump to NBA, but uh, really tragic news Sunday hit. Not just, you know, L.A. played with the Lakers 20 years, retired a few years ago, age of 41. Him, his daughter, and seven other people, they were in a helicopter wreck. They unfortunately all lost their lives. Very tragic. But it didn't just hit that area. It hit the whole, it seems like the world. Oh, I would agree. After you've been hearing things these last few days and um, the things that people are doing to honor Kobe and, um, and the memories that he, of people he touched that you didn't really know about, it's, it's incredible. All over the world. Obviously, the United States, I grew up watching him. You've seen his whole career. You know, anybody in our age groups or younger, older, you know, 5, 10, even 15 years got to see him play. A soccer team in Italy, because he spent some time in Italy when he was younger, has a tribute for him and has a jersey up for him. Uh, The Connecticut women's basketball team put a jersey for Gigi, his daughter, put it on a chair, wouldn't let anybody sit there. Like she was a member of the team because that was her dream school. 
the Australian Open tennis tournaments going on. There's been guys down there and women that have done things like writing things on their shoes or uh, worn jerseys or you know sweats or whatever that had like his name and number on it. You know, that's pretty amazing. Woke up this morning at 5:30, so I just turned on the TV and they were playing this match. It was Nadal and this other guy. That that's, the match had actually started at 2:30 in the morning. Australian time was still going on at 5:30. Well, it started 2:30. No, I take it. It started 2:30 in the morning our time. It was still going on at 5:30 in the morning our time. So it had already been going on for three hours. So I watched the rest of this. We got over in four and a half hours, and the number one seed in the dog got beat. But that's where I saw this thing with Djokovic, I believe, wearing this warm-ups jacket kind of thing with honoring Kobe, which was amazing. And not only was he wearing that jacket, but he also wrote a message on the camera screen, I guess the lens, we'll call it the camera lens, and it was a heart. It had KB, his number, and then it had Gigi's name, and it says love you on it. So that was pretty cool that they did that. I seen it on yeah. ESPN Sports Sunday last night. So. Well, and then in the Pro Bowl, one of the teams scored or something, and that they did something to honor him in that situation, which happened, that was the day it happened. So they immediately reacted in that way. And then Bobby Wilson, who was a guest on this show, he coached in Lamoille, Ohio with the girls basketball team there, and now he's an assistant with Eureka. I seen Facebook and Twitter posts from him where Eureka College, you know, did a tribute for Kobe, and it is worldwide. So we're seeing it from our angles yeah. and people we know, but worldwide. So being, you know, you're a sports fan, I don't know how much you're into the NBA and things like that or how much you follow Kobe Bryant's career, but when you first heard this, obviously there was a tragedy. You know, another American life was taken by a, a tragic accident that you wish nobody would be in. But as a basketball player and what you've seen of his career, you know, what were you thinking when you saw what had happened? Well, I heard you talking about your reaction to it when you heard about it on your one of your earlier podcasts this week. And um, I was uptown at Main Street Station waiting to see the big uproar player. They were playing a Sunday Funday. And uh, I was standing up there talking to some of the guys I taught in school or coached or whatever. And uh, Pat Becker came in and he said, hey, you know, did you coach, did you hear about what happened to Kobe Bryant? And I'm like, no. He said, uh, he got killed in this crash. This is kind of how I reacted from what I remember hearing you say. You said, when you heard this, it's like you didn't believe it. And I immediately grabbed my phone to try to verify it. Well, in Main Street, the reception isn't real good. So I never did really get to figure that out at that moment. I mean, I'd heard it. Um, and then things went on there that day. And there was tons of people there. And there was a party there for one of my friends. So I got involved in that. It didn't really hit me till Monday. When I got up, you know, I always usually put on Golik and Wingo and, you know, then Stephen A. show comes on. And usually I get up and go do different things that I did part of my normal routine. I didn't get up. I just laid there and listened and watched several hours of these different people talking about it. That's when it hit me. It was sad. Finally, I had to turn it off. I had to just turn the TV off and try to do something else. Anytime you turned on the TV, it didn't matter what station it was or what time of the day, or even if it was a sports station. 
The people were talking about it. Yeah, it was absolutely everywhere. Yeah. So Sunday night, I went over to a cousin's house to watch the Royal, the Royal Rumble. You know, still a sort of wrestling fan here. Yeah. And there. So I went to watch the Royal Rumble, and before I got there, probably like a half hour, 45 minutes before it started, so we literally went to YouTube and we watched Doc Rivers talk about it, Stephen A. Smith, uh, Shaq, hadn't really said anything yet, but we're looking at these videos and people were commenting on Twitter, like, what's Shaq going to say? What's Shaq going to say? And then he came up with a couple comments. Yeah. And LeBron, Kobe the day before on Saturday, had talked to LeBron, I think sent him a text message about him passing him on the all-time scoring yeah. list in the NBA. Yeah. So surreal. And everybody that I've yeah. talked to, you know, huge sports fans, like, that's one of the first things that's said. Like, he just did that to LeBron, for LeBron, and then the very next day. Like, he gets passed, and then, you know, he passes away. Yeah. Really, really weird coincidence there. The other people that got killed and his daughter, they were all involved, like, going to this basketball activity, right? It was something to do with the... His daughter and these other there were two other young girls on this copter, I guess, and they were going to some kind of thing that with this team these girls played on. So there were parents and just thinking about as that had happened and those people going through that, just I don't even like to think about it. It's, it's insane. Terrible. It's a really bad movie. Why you're yeah. thinking about it just plays off like a really yeah. you know a traumatic scene. You you know your eyes get big and. You know, you're holding on to something. Because you have to think, like, Kobe's a dad. Right. The, was it a baseball coach that was on there? He was a He was a, a junior college coach, I believe. But his daughter was, like, a teammate of Kobe's daughter. Yeah. So you have to imagine why they're going down. I mean, uh, somebody else pointed this out. If you're in a airplane and you're going down because of the oxygen level and stuff like that, you usually pass out before you would touch ground. In a helicopter, it's wide open on the sides. Yeah. So that effect doesn't happen. So we think, yeah, I'm not trying to you know, no, put know. that vivid picture in people's mind, but yeah. as, as you're thinking about this and how awful, awful is not even a ground well, word for that. Terrifying. Terrifying. I can't even, yeah. And just thinking of, as a father, you know, going through that situation and your daughters are, you know, right next to you and that... Yeah. It's so sad. My condolences to the Bryan family and to the family of everybody that was in there. That is a tragic, tragic thing that, I mean, you don't wish upon anybody. And, you know, and the thing about him, you know, I'm a Bulls fan. You're a Bulls fan. I've heard other people say that, like, to them, Kobe was always kind of the, the, the villain. You know, you were his, he was on the other team and, you know, trying to beat the team you liked. But if you're a basketball fan and really understand, just from watching him play and reading about him, what a great competitor and what a great player. And we could talk all day about if is he the best player in the top five or whatever. I don't know if it's time to do that. But the thing that I learned about him after he retired, all that he has done to help the WNBA or, or girls basketball in general, he did all these like things on ESPN Plus. I don't know if you ever watched any of these. They're like videos where he, he'll focus on a certain player and talk about their game and analyze it very deeply. I didn't realize that he was so detailed about techniques and guarding people on defense and techniques about getting open, you know? 
and how he, he could express that so well. And I started watching some of those things last year, you know, before this ever happened. And I told some of my friends that were coaches, I said, you know, you, you should watch these things on ESPN that Kobe has about talking about the game. It's incredible what he knows. I think I've seen a couple of those, or one of them for sure I, I remember seeing. But yeah, it was like John Gruden. When John Gruden breaks down like the quarterback club and he's doing the, you know, what the quarterback is seeing from defenses and stuff like that, Kobe could do that on a basketball court. He had yeah. the vision of he could kind, open up like the whole a, court. Kind of like a series. He was picking kind of like the star guys in the NBA. I think I watched one with Curry, you know, and there were other guys. And it was and it, these things lasted I think 20 to 30 minutes. Just how he broke down how they played, and he's talking about why they were good in a complimentary way, but he also would kind of analyze things they needed to do to even make themselves better. People don't like to hear those things. If I was a player in the NBA and Kobe Bryant was analyzing me, I'd surely want his help. Yeah, I, I, I don't think, think they did appreciate that after you listen to some of all these guys that have come out that he was in contact with, that he wasn't teammates with or anything like that. He, he just wanted to help everybody be good because he loved the game. When my cousin and I were watching videos, you know, before the Royal Rumble, <laughs> Pat is a very important man. His phone keeps going off. It's hilarious. Yeah. And I thought it was my doorbell. I'm like, is It sounds like a doorbell or something. <laughs> When my cousin and I were watching, you know, clips and videos, of course, you run across Kobe and Michael Jordan videos of whether they, you know, playing on the court together for the few years that they did or when people are discussing where Kobe Bryant fits in. And you were talking about that top five, top ten, whatever. We don't have to do that. I kind of don't want to do that. I don't like when people, as soon as somebody passes away. Somebody threw that at me today in a text that they, they had their top five. And, of course... Dr. J wasn't even mentioned, and I threw some names out there beside, it was Jordan and Larry Bird, Johnson, those were some of the ones in the top five, um, and then him. Well, there's all kinds of guys, Oscar Robertson, Jerry Akeem Olajuwon, Jerry West, Will, Bill Russell, I mean, Oscar Robertson was one that I hadn't thought of. He definitely deserves in the mix to be discussed. Oh, yeah, he's definitely sure. in the discussion. And I, when we were watching those clips again, we saw Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant both in separate interviews and, you know, a couple, five, six years apart from each other, had both said, when you're asked about being the greatest player or something, what, like, resonates with you, what goes through your head? And both of them said, you know, that's not my place to decide. It's your place to decide or talk about it, but I'm just playing the game. And yeah. Michael Jordan kind of said, he was like, there was all these players before me, guys like Will Chamberlain and Jerry West, that I never got to play against. Right. So I can't call myself greater than them when I don't know. Are they the greatest of that era and I'm one of the best of this era? Yeah. And I think Kobe Bryant fits in that same discussion. Of those players that came in the mid-90s, 95, 96, 97, Kevin Garnett, Allen Iverson, Paul Pierce. You know, there's a bunch of those names that maybe not in that caliber, yeah. but, you know, they're thought of. They're going to be Hall of Famers and things like that. Or if they're not already Hall of Famers, Steve Nash, Jason Kidd. The people now want always want an easy way they think to sell is by how many championships they won. Well, some of the guys that we just said never won any. Bill Russell, though, <laughs> if you're going to go by that, he's way ahead, 
And, and Bill Russell was great, and I watched him play. I, re, I remember watching him play. We made it a point to watch the Celtics when they were on TV because this will age me a bit, but there weren't that many games on TV back when I was a kid growing up. So they were always on Sunday afternoons for some reason. The Celtics were like playing whoever. Um, so then, you know, you got to watch the Celtics, and that's when they were, you know, dominating. The dynasty. Yeah. The dynasty of all dynasties. Red Auerbach was smoking the cigars <laughs> yeah. on, on the bench after the games. I mean, some of that stuff seems like almost like not real now, right. but it's a different time. I mean, it's like when you talk about dynasties, there's a couple that you think of. Of course, there's Boston, and then there's like UCLA. <laughs> those, well, that, those at that dynasties. time too, UCLA was that was going on too when I was growing up, and that went on forever. It seemed like with Wooden coaching and all the great players that they have, tons of NBA and NCAA Hall of Famers, yeah. no doubt about that. I know I said Michael Jordan, and we were talking about basketball. We kind of have to flip to the Bulls. We're both Bulls fans. You a little longer than me. <laughs> Just kidding. I remember the first year they were actually playing. I think I was like 11 or 12 years old when Red Kerr was the coach. Wow. I just know him as an announcer. Well, he was the, he was a good player back in the day, and, and he was the Bulls' first coach. Before we got on, we uh, looked up some numbers and some stats and, you know, seeing where the Bulls kind of were at in the NBA stratosphere. And right now they're sitting in ninth seed in the Eastern Conference at 19 and 30. They are two games behind the Nets, who are 19 and 26, and two and a half games behind the Magic, who are 21 and 27. Anybody six and up are never going to be in the mirror or <laughs> like even hopes yeah, of catching for no. the Chicago Bulls. So those are the only ones I'm gonna I'm going to talk about. We've had this conversation, and honestly, everybody in this area kind of agrees that this version of the Chicago Bulls is kind of awful. It's awful to watch. They had some stars or some players that were supposed to step up or you predicted them to play better. Of course, I'm talking about Zach Levine and Laurie Markin, and they haven't. They haven't progressed. They haven't got any better than the year before, or actually even the year before that. It seems like they've been the same players for the last couple of years, and they're not getting to the potential that everybody thought they had. So with that said, we're looking and we're like, man, they're only you know a few games out of the eighth seed getting into the playoffs. Is that crazy or possible or how does that work? Because we think it's one of the worst Bulls teams we've seen in um, a while. They hyped the team up pretty well this year, thinking and talking about Markinen and Zach Levine and, and other guys that they had gotten. And um, they have had a lot of injuries. I will say that uh, lately, Zach Levine has. A, quite a streak of scoring quite a, you know, like 20 or more points. Markinen's now hurt against and out. Um, he has been disappointed. I don't know if it's because of the injuries. I think he was hurt before the season even started. Then he hurt his ankle and he's been playing supposedly with that. Now he has a stress fracture of his hip or something. something so like he's that. laid out for four to six weeks. He was the one to me. I mean, Zach Levine, I don't think he's ever going to be any different. I mean, he's going to be a scorer, but I don't think he's a top, you know, like a number one guy. But he is their number one guy. Markkinen's definitely not playing well enough to be a number two. Levine um, reminds me of Rudy Gay. I remember Rudy Gay with Memphis. They signed him to a huge contract, and they're like, oh, Memphis Grizzlies are going to be awesome. Rudy Gay is going to be our guy. 
and he did get injured, I want to say, like, either later that year that they were promoting him to be the guy yeah. or something like that. But even before he got hurt, he wasn't that guy. And Zach Levine and him kind of have similar styles, slashers, you know, yeah. shoot, chuck up a bunch of shots no matter how many people are in front of you trying to guard you. Kind of similar styles at that time in their career. I compare them a lot. I see a lot of the old Rudy Gay in this now Zach Levine. It's amazing that they're actually within shot of making the playoffs. And I've heard other people talk about they hope they don't make the playoffs because that'll hurt their draft pick. Well, let's say this. If you make the playoffs, you're not going to be a lottery team. No, not at all. And, um, you know, I'm just saying what other people say is that then they go, well, it doesn't matter if they get in the lottery or not because they won't pick the right, the right person. There's a lot of people that are disgruntled with the management and, and the coach. and I've heard all that. It is disappointing. I wish they would be good again. Yeah, we thought it was happening with D. Rose, and then his injuries kind of piled up, and that went to heck. But that was awesome to watch. Yeah, Rose, it was. Ben Gordon, Lau Dang, Joaquin Noah, those teams were a lot of they fun were, to watch. Yeah, it was fun. To me, it was like when Norm Van Leer, Jerry Sloan, Bob Love, those Tom Borwinkle, those guys, Chet Walker, those guys were playing in the 70s. They were really good. They made the finals a couple times, but they could never, there was always somebody they could never get past and then win it. And that's kind of how it was with that group. They were fun to, fun to watch and they were good. They were entertaining. Days are done. <laughs> Wish you would return to that again. I still do watch it. Some people say, how do you stand watching it? And I go, I watch basketball. And it, that's the team I've watched since I was a kid, so I'm going to keep watching it. You don't stop being a fan just because your team isn't playing how you want them to. Yeah. Because if that was the case, then nobody would ever be fans because no your team te- is always ever your t- good. Your team isn't always going to win. Right. Like, I mean, we just. I'm a about, Sox fan. I know that too. <laughs> so. I mean, we just talked about Kobe. It's not like the Kobe and Lakers got to the finals every year. He had some really awful years too. Not him as a player, but the Lakers yeah. with like uh, Kwame Brown and <laughs> like they were yeah. trying to replace Shaq and his, stuff like that. His last few years, their teams weren't particularly good, as I recall. Yeah. He went through a, a span after Shaq had left that wasn't very good. And then yeah. they got Bynum and Paul Gasol and, and players like yeah, that. Yeah, they, they became good again, and then they dropped off again. Right. That's how it works. I mean, that's, that's sports. Yeah. It's not just one guy. It's not just two. You know, it's a team. It's yeah. a team effort. So you always got to have a lot of players. And unfortunately, right now, the Chicago Bulls can't get healthy players. And when they do get healthy players, they can't all gel because they really haven't had time. And I don't know yeah. if it's even time anymore because they've had these guys for a few years and they're doing the same that they've been doing. Chris Dunn, I think before this year started, he was kind of written off because they brought Sadoransky in and he was supposed to kind of be the, well, I don't know, then what happened? Somebody got hurt right away and then Chris Dunn ended up playing. And he plays all the time now. And I do think he's a good defender. He has his pluses, but sometimes he's not a good shooter. Yeah, that's, what <laughs> that's, that's the easiest that's way to say it. If you're in the NBA, you think a guy can shoot better than that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Professional basketball player, and he cannot shoot. But he is a good defender, and he is a good lead pass guy. And he, there is, he plays hard. He I've never followed hard. his effort, ever. No, never. 
So they brought in Sadoransky. I always say his name wrong, so I'm not even yeah, going to Yeah, I probably to said it. it wrong, too. I, <laughs> I thought he'd be better. I think everybody did. I and mean, he came in he as He has had some decent games, but it's not like he doesn't keep it going. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the last year and the year before that, he was John Wall's backup for Washington, and he had some great he, games. He had some good stats, too. He, I, his stats he had coming in, I thought, hey, if he plays, does that for the Bulls, just what he did with the... That'd be great, and he hasn't done that. And if you brought those numbers over to the Bulls and then bring a young Kobe White rookie in yeah. who can score at will, and he can now. Sometimes. As, he goes through spurts. No, you're right, you're right. He, I said at will, but yeah. he does go through spurts. He has his moments. Sometimes he's like, whoa, that's great. But then he'll, he'll have a bad, he has bad nights, and his minutes aren't real consistent. No, not at all, no. not at all. But he also has to find other ways to play the game, too, besides just chucking up the ball and, and trying to score. I haven't seen much defense from him. Sometimes his passes are a little iffy. Like, there's a yeah. clear pass that probably would have got a layup or, like, a decent mid-range, and you're throwing to a guy that's got two people right around him. There's a steal or the guy can't yeah. get the ball, you know, things like that. I see that from him. You know, like, sometimes the Bulls will look great during the game. They'll get a big lead. Then they might hang on to that for most of the third quarter, but then all of a sudden, in the, late in the third quarter, it starts to melt, and then it'll be gone in the fourth quarter. But it seems to me what happens in these lulls is like, it's like on offense they're not doing anything. It's like they kind of just stand around. It usually ends up with Zach trying to get open to chuck up some kind of shot to beat the shot clock. And those shots they end up taking aren't good shots. I've noticed that for two years now. That's what seems to be the pattern that happens in many of their games. It's like they don't know how to finish a game. And unfortunately, that's not just the Bulls. I see that in all of basketball. Um, People are not moving the ball around. There's way less passing. There's like one to three passes per possession, and it ends with a three-point shot. Part of that is the shot clock. It's only 24. If you do run trying to run plays and they don't work right away, just somebody has to do that. Whoever has the ball, I guess, at the end of the possession. But you see some awkward stuff going on. College, that happens too. The shot clock's 30, but it, you see some goofy things going on at the end of those possessions. You see that in high school so much because they don't have the shot clock. That's another issue. And that's what I was just going to bring up. I was going to say, I really hope they do not bring the shot clock to high school basketball, like what they were saying. And I think they will, but I kind of don't want them to because of what we're just talking about. I don't think they need it. Some people do because there's low-scoring games now and all this, and that's they think that's because it's too deliberate. That isn't why the games are low-scoring, in my opinion. There's They maybe aren't taking great shots sometimes, but... The game's different. I don't know. That's People have asked me about that. I think they have enough trouble getting referees. That's true. They, they're shorter referees. If you have to have a shot clock operator on the bench, that's another person they need to try to get in there to learn how to do that. You know, They, are, they have enough trouble getting scorekeepers, somebody to run the clock. And I'm talking about Mendota. They're, like the other night, last night. They had two guys ref in the freshman game. They weren't refs. The refs that were supposed to be there, something happened. I guess they were had to do a varsity game that had gotten rescheduled. They did have two guys that knew no sports to ref the game, 
And I'm not, that's not talking about the shot clock. But I said they'd have, they're just having trouble getting enough people to do all this stuff. That's another reason why I don't think they need to add it in high schools. Who's going to do it? Yeah, that's, I never heard it from that point of view. Usually it's the game is fine how it is, or the strategy, you know, you got a big lead, or you're down by a lot, or whatever, and how people control the game clock, not the, the shot clock, but the game clock in general, and that's kind of what they want to manipulate with the... Well, the no, if you're, shot. the strategy, like when I was playing, I don't know, if, or even coaching, is like if you were playing a team you felt had better talent, uh, you would hold the ball and try to cut down the possessions. And, and I saw games like that. I remember seeing a game one time when I was a kid. It, LP had this great team, and I don't, can't remember who they were playing. It was Somebody held the ball on them the whole game. The final score of the game was like 12 to 11 or something, which was crazy in the regional tournament or something. And, and they just let them do it. I think they got ahead at some point, so then they just let them hold the ball. So the people, it was just literally just standing there. That was, that was kind of goofy. I, and when you, that stuff happens, I can see why people think you should have a shot clock. But it doesn't happen that often. You know, most teams aren't good enough to be able to do that if they are pressured by a good defense. In the last five years, I probably saw like four or five games like that. Yeah. It's basketball, it's strategy, it's sports. I mean, that's what yeah. we do. Always thinking of strategy. Well, if you can do it and you think it's going to, if it's legal to do that, which it still is in high school, if you do think that would maybe give you a better chance to win, it's worth giving it a shot. Most times it doesn't work. You know, you know that. <laughs> that's true. That's true. All right, let's move on from basketball. There's other sports in the world, huh? Ping pong, <laughs> bowling, <laughs> rugby, you know. Yeah, yeah, covered all kinds of stuff Golf. on this podcast. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but we have a super crazy big game known as the Super Bowl happening on Sunday. And we have the San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs. I think it's going to be a good matchup. I, I'm going to pick a winner just to pick a winner, but I really don't care who wins. I, no, I'm excited I for a good game. Um, I think it'll be a good. I think they're the two best teams. I think they have proven that. And, and, but Mahomes, as you and your friend call him, he's really good. He's um, I appreciate how good he is. And um, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo's kind of been getting this thing about he's not that good, and he's just leading this team that can run the ball so so great. You Game know? manager is the. Now team. I'll say I saw Jimmy Garoppolo play in college at NIU when he was quarterback for Eastern Illinois. That guy can throw the ball. I mean, he's threw for like 400 yards, I think, and Northern was lucky to beat him in that game. So I've kind of always followed him and appreciated that he, you know, the NFL and college is different. But it'll be cool to see how he does in that game. Definitely. He's I mean, no slouch, there's no doubt. You wouldn't be a quarterback in the NFL if you weren't, weren't very, you know. you got to be pretty good. I mean, he was picked up by New England. And then he goes to the San Francisco after, you know, showing for a year, I think. Where did he get hurt? Did yeah, he played. Hurt? He did play that one year, I think, Brady got hurt. And he did pretty well. I was always kind of didn't understand why they got rid of him. I, I guess because the plan was to keep Brady for a long, long time, which has happened. But I suppose he probably did want to go somewhere else himself to get I, a shot. 
in payday. Uh, once yeah. he showed what he could do on the field, and they're like, hey, we can bring this guy in. He's our starting quarterback. And there was another guy like that. There was one in, what, Castle was his name? Matt Castle. He would actually play for the Chiefs. He got a good contract after he did well that one year, but he didn't end up being any great star or anything. No, no, not at all. That was the year New England won 11 games but did not make the playoffs. Yeah, that was crazy. I know, that was... That was a really awkward, weird yeah, year. Yeah, that was just strange. I don't, I still don't understand how that happened, but obviously it did. Kind of cool because I think that's the last time they haven't made the playoffs. They have been. In the I don't playoffs. know that for sure. I don't. That's something I don't remember. They that. have been there every year. It seems like yeah. I don't know that for sure either. But in my head, that's what I'd like to yeah. do. <laughs> but yeah, I'm gonna watch the game. I'm excited because they are two different kind of teams. Like you said, 49ers are gonna run the ball and try to. You know, push it up the middle and hit the sweeps and, you know, stuff like that where Mahomes yeah. is going to try to fire you up and, and drive down the field with long passes and then switch it up for little dink and dunks that are going to go for 10, 15 yards. And it's going to be a really, really fun battle. And both teams have really good defenses as yeah. well. Mahomes, and he can run. He doesn't do it all the time, but he seems to be smart about it. And he hasn't gotten nailed yet where he can't play. That one run he had, the AFC Championship, he ran that one at the end of the half or whatever. It was, it was. like a 20-yard run. Yeah, yeah, and then he, nobody expected that, you know. It did kind of come out of nowhere. Yeah, it, yeah, it did. It's a lot of fun to watch him play because he can do everything. Whether he wants to use his feet or if he wants to use his arm, because he's got a cannon as well. So like is, Mitch, you mean? He's kind of like Mitch? <laughs> <laughs> Just about 10 times better at this point in their careers. Wow. That's our quarterback. Yeah, Mitchell I'm a Bears fan, you know. I keep hoping he'll come around. I mean, he wasn't horrible last season. This year, he struggled. But yeah. the year they won 12, I thought he did pretty well, really. I wonder if it was pressure. Because, I mean, there were tons of pressure. We, our whole area, pretty much all of Illinois, if you're a Bears fan, Assumed. Thought, thought we were going to Super Bowl. Assumed. Or at least making the playoffs and making a run. Assumed it was going to be at least similar to the year before. And it was obvious from the start of the season it wasn't happening like that. By and they had injuries and things like that. But By game four or five, I don't remember when we played Oakland. When we played the Raiders. That was a bad. That was the game in England? Yeah. But that we, was horrible. When we played that and I saw that, I'm like, there's no way we made the playoffs. There is absolutely no way we are going to scrape by enough wins to get this team, they have to make some dramatic, like right now, dramatic changes for this team to do anything, and it didn't happen. Yeah, that that was disappointing, for yeah. sure. All right, I'm done talking about the Bears. That's fine. <laughs> we'll move on. <laughs> but we will stay in Chicago. Okay. We will move to Chris Bryant, who is in okay. the news a lot right now. You are a Sox fan. I say, if you ask me who my favorite team is, I say the White Sox. But I am also, I've, I follow the Cubs. And it, I follow the Cubs, too. Yeah, I mean, I think we're past those days where it's a huge rivalry, and you're, and we're also not in Chicago. So I don't know if that's still a thing in Chicago. But outside of it, around here, we're about an hour and a half out. Anywhere in this area in Illinois, outside of Chicago, I feel like it's getting more normal where you don't hate the other Chicago team as much as, you know, before it was like people would well, fight over some that. people that would say that. But, um, people would no, fight I don't, over I don't hate the Cubs. It was cool when the Cubs won the World 
concerts. That was exciting. I was happy to be alive for that because I don't now I don't know when that's gonna happen. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding, but you never know. Never ever know. The thing is now I have Comcast. They haven't signed a deal yet with this new network the Cubs have, so I don't know what's gonna happen with that. Cause I I do watch Cubs games. I like baseball, so if the you know if the Sox are on, I would watch the Sox. But then you know I'd keep track of what's going on with the Cubs. So I hope they get that straightened out. DirecTV has settled with them, but Dish hasn't. I think that's how it's going. Yeah. Out. So if you have Dish or Comcast, you're not on the their thing right now. I read this last week because I started wondering about this. There's like four million Comcast subscribers, Chicago and around this area that aren't yeah. equipped to watch the Cubs. I mean, because Comcast is pretty much the provider in this area. I mean, that's how it goes. And ship, yes, yeah. yeah. Unless you have one of the you know satellite things, but so that'll be interesting to see what happens if they get that figured out. The real reason I brought them up is there is Brian. Chris Bryant, man. Yeah. There is all kinds of, I don't know if we want to call it controversy. I don't know what we want to call it. You, before we had got on, we were talking about the grievance that he had filed against the uh, Chicago Cubs. That is now taken care of, and I guess it went in the favor of the Chicago Cubs over like five and a half so years ago. So that's why they do have two years control over it now. Because I guess if it wasn't, he was. it was only going to be one. So it's technically the Cubs won the grievance. They dismissed the grievance or whatever. Yeah. And the grievance was a service time manipulation is right. what they called it. And so now he is going to be a free agent after the 2021 season. So not the season coming up, but the year after. And you can expand on what you were just talking about, how, you know, they got another year out of it because they yeah. did win. There's something like if you don't bring them up by a certain date, their rookie year, then you can get to keep another year of control over them before they become a free agent. And the White Sox have avoided that with some of their young talent. They signed them, you know, to like they did that with Aloy, and they, they did it with Robert, too, where they already, ex like, extended their contracts, guaranteed them, you know, years, so it didn't matter about how the Cubs did this with Bryant. They would have did the same thing like the Sox had done with some of their young players, this wouldn't have been an issue, but they didn't want to do that, I guess because they weren't sure he was going to be good. So, you know, the Sox have invested quite a bit of money in these guys, gambling in a way, hoping that they are going to be as good as what they believe, and Aloy, I think, proved that. I think almost all the players that they've dumped money into so far, have, yeah. you're seeing, you know, progression of, of yeah. their talents and what they're doing. I don't know if the Sox decided to do that because they learned from what went on with this Chris Bryant deal or not. It still comes down to the, talking about the Cubs and the Sox a lot. Always. It's, always. There's the comparisons. Yeah, definitely. Um, you can't help it if you're a baseball fan and you follow it. You know, if you listen to uh, Molly and Haw in the morning, they talk about it. If you listen to Kaplan, Kaplan Company's show, they're, they constantly talk about both teams. Yeah, pretty much anything on the score, six yeah. on the score, or... ESPN 100 or 1000. Yeah, that's ESPN 1000. Yeah, and those are the ones I listen to. And they are always talking about and comparing. And it's funny because some of them are, you know, Kaplan's a Cubs fan. And some of them are, you know, they have their own teams. But they still talk about both teams. All the time. Yeah. So I don't know what happens. It is just crazy to think 
the Cubs win the World Series in 2016, and you're looking at the roster and the talent and how long that these contracts are, that they have these young players. We're talking about Anthony Rizzo, Bryant, uh, Addison Russell. And there's a couple other guys, and you're thinking, man, Contreras. What kind of, Contreras, Wilson Contreras is definitely in this mix. What can this team do with this roster? And we're thinking, okay, here's one World Series. There's a good chance that they could win you know, three in a row or two out of four, three out of four, three out of five, things like that. And people are talking about this. And everybody was pumped up in this area, even if you were a Sox fan, just because first Cubs hadn't won in, it seemed like, a million yeah. years. So then they win a World Series, and you've got this roster that you could do crazy, crazy amounts of awesomeness with, and it has not happened. They have, didn't make the playoffs this past year. They lost the wild card the year before. And now you're talking about getting rid of the main piece of this puzzle that you would One put together. Them, yeah. yeah, that's interesting. I mean... The last two years for the Cubs didn't turn out like what their fans hoped for at all. I mean, the 2017 season wasn't too bad. I mean, they didn't repeat, but um, they were still had a really, really good record. But the downfall started somewhere at the end of the 2018 season. It looked like they had it under control, and then they kind of just messed it up. They still what? They still got the wild card or something, and then. But they didn't they lose a playoff game or there was something that season. Last season? Yeah, not the not two thousand nineteen, the one before, when Milwaukee ended up catching them and Yeah, they got into it was like a wild card or kind of like a play in game. Or didn't so they, they have a play in game to get the wild card? Yeah. So they won the play in game, but yes. then they lost the wild card. That's exactly what happened, yes. Well that was pretty disappointing. It was. I watched that game yeah. in my uh my friend. For the Cubs fans, I know it was. And, and we were, last year, we they just kind of fell apart. Yeah, there's. They could not thinking. win a game on the road. It seemed like any time they went on a road trip that they were coming back with a losing record. Their road, road record trip. was really bad. It was awful. Their home record was one of the better ones. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, every game that you play is not in Chicago. So if you can't yeah. win on the road, you got some problems. Well, their pitching wasn't as good last year. There's no doubt. The relief pitching, for sure. You know, they tried to make deals to take care of it, but anything they did seemed to backfire. They got hurt, yeah. and they couldn't maintain it. Injuries and whatever didn't work out for them, or, the, or came back from injuries and, and it didn't perform like they had hoped. So, yeah, you throw in the pitching issues. You throw in, I had mentioned Addison Russell before. He had some legal stuff and things with girls and... I'm not going to get into it. It's yeah. you know, past, and if you're listening to this, you probably already heard it and know the story. So then he doesn't become the player that we all thought he was going to be. He's got a, every all these other things on his mind, and yeah. people want him out of Chicago. A lot of people didn't even want him to come back to the team. So you got that. He had going. a tremendous season in 2016. Oh, it was he awesome. Had, he had 91 RBIs, I think. Fantastic. Yeah. That was before Baez was. We didn't even say him. Did I was just going to say that he we wasn't didn't even, even playing shortstop at that point. Yeah. I was just going to say we He was playing Baez. second, I believe. And then finally they made that switch. But yeah, Russell. And I don't remember what year his issues happened. Was that in 17? I want to say it was like the next year, yeah. And then after that, he's never performed. No, he hasn't. Not like that. Because they thought he was just going to be a superstar. Yeah. 
So you had... Baez ended up kind of being a superstar. Baez is a superstar. Yeah. <laughs> I thought he was MVP this season, even though yeah. you know, the Cubs didn't perform how he wanted him to. He did. He was. He a, could he was have awesome. been if they would have team-wise ended up in a better spot. So you had Baez, Rizzo, and Bryant, and then you threw in Russell, Contreras. I mean, that, that those five alone. And Schwarber. Schwarber, there you go. Another has one. always hit for power. Yeah, no doubt. So then to even think that you're going to try to deal Chris Bryant just seems still as mind-blowing to me. Every yeah, time I, I would, see it in the paper, I'm like, what? I was surprised about that. I didn't, I still don't understand why they, unless there's just some animosity there. I don't know. He's never said that. or. Yeah, you never know. I mean, he did file a grievance, and he's worth a lot of money, and they're prob- they could deal him and probably get some good pieces back. This is what I heard today on Cap Show. I mean, they were saying, you know, he thinks he probably deserves a lot more money than what he's getting, like eighteen million, or um, because they held him back from this or whatever. But they also mentioned, you know, he performed greatly in two thousand sixteen, and they talk about war now or whatever. I don't understand all that, but all these extra stuff. Yeah, they said his wins above replacement was like seven or something that year. Since then, it hasn't even been close to that. So they were even saying he has not performed up to the, like a superstar contract like Machado got or something like that. Somebody probably still would give it to him. If I ask you who's the best player on the Cubs last year, who are you saying? I would say Baez. Same. I'm saying Baez, and I'm, I believe a lot of people are saying Baez. Yeah, I mean, Brian had a decent season, but he was also hurt quite a bit. Rizzo had a his typically good season, but he has these back issue things that you never seem to know when that's going to flare up. How's he going to perform for the future? You just don't know. You never know. never know. Well, we have talked about all kinds of sports for about an hour. One more subject I want to hit real quick. We could just skim over this if we want to, but Facebook, talking to you in person all the time, you are always walking around listening to music. Okay. Jamming out. What are some of your tops that you're like, hey, this is good to listen to. I'm going to listen to it all the time. What are some of your favorites? Uh, my favorite band, and they have been now for probably almost 20 years, is a band called the Drive-By Truckers that are from Georgia. I've never heard of them. Well, they are... Uh, I started listening to them. I read a, a review in Rolling Stone about you know, their third album that had come out, and it just sounded like something that I would like. And I've always... I've had a subscription to Rolling Stone probably since I was in high school. I still have one. You know, sometimes you read record reviews, and, and so like, okay, I'm going to go buy this. And I thought that was a cool name for a band, too, you know. And the album cover looked cool. So I got it, and then I started listening to those guys, and uh, then I got their other earlier albums and things like that. Started seeing them in concert, and uh, to me, it's like a history lesson especially about the South. They're very, they sing about political stuff. They got a new album coming out, actually, Friday. It's a, all about the current political scene in the United States. So they have songs called Impeachment? Well, <laughs> I, could, um, I haven't heard the new songs yet, but it wouldn't shock me if that subject came up in sure. one of their songs. And what kind of music is this? Is this, like... I, it's to me, it's rock. They can sound like a country band almost. Sometimes they're pegged as an alt country band, 
but sometimes they sound like a hard rock band. You know, it, they, it doesn't, it changes. There's no, t it doesn't all sound the same. I think that's part of why I like them. That's awesome. Is there any band you could compare them to? Well, some of their music back when they first started out reminded me of like Neil Young and Crazy Horse, if you know, if you're into that band. Um, hard rock, that kind of sound. They sounded like Skinner sometimes with their three guitar attack, which they still have. That part about it. They did have a guy that played steel guitar for him for a while, but he is not in the band. So they brought a lot of songs that actually sounded like country songs. They can do about anything. Coach Game likes them too, so me and, he, me and him can listen to them and talk about them. We're like their two biggest fans in Mendota, I would say. That's awesome. I've never heard of them. I've never heard well, of them at all. That, well, I don't know what to say. That there's, They're not the only band I listen to. I mean, right. I... Black Crows, I like them. Zeppelin, classic rock bands. That, you know, I've been listening to music since I was in high school. Or, well, I take that back, before that. I grew up listening to WLS radio and listening to the Beatles and Beach Boys and Paul Revere and the Raiders and stuff like that. So I've always loved listening to music. I tried to play it for a little bit, but gave up on that quickly. What did you try to play? I tried. Well, I played guitar briefly when I was in sixth grade. Briefly. And I demanded an electric, and mom and dad said no. So then I quit. I, I couldn't get the electric guitar. It wasn't that cool to do it anymore. <laughs> I had an acoustic. Hey, at least you tried. Yeah. Like, no. It was brief, but I tried. <laughs> I took guitar lessons for a while, and I could play a few chords and stuff. We actually had it. There was a little band we had. We weren't any good, but we thought we, we were playing a couple songs. It was in sixth grade. I was like 12 <laughs> years old. So in your mind, you're like, hey, we could be superstars. No, I thought it'd be cool to be on those TV shows they had. They had it. We'd come home and watch after school, you know, when Paul Revere and the Raiders were on and stuff like that. But that didn't work out. <laughs> I was into baseball and basketball and that too, so we had other things to do. Before I let you go, I asked you a question earlier. Well, I need my list. <laughs> I said, give me a top eight players from Mendota that you would bring to the court against anybody else's top eight. And I said it could be eight. boys or girls. So we got a starting lineup of five and then three off the bench. Somebody that li will probably listen to this and get mad at me. Or, but that's okay. They'll think of somebody else, man. Well, for the guys, I mean, you got to go with Don Hamill, Willie Hansen. Um, to me, they were the best players. I don't think I've ever seen anybody since that's come close to them. So there's two right there. Uh, Jeff Kryling for an inside player, for sure. Rick Jacobs was a great player. Uh, his brother Terry wasn't too shabby either. He could knock people around in size as good as anybody I ever saw. Well, I kind of always want to tend to go back to, you know, to the older guys, but um, Mark Cooper was a great player. There's no doubt about that. He'd be, you need to have some inside guys, too. Kyle Shinholz, inside, just a big guy, but who could also shoot. He's tall. Yeah, <laughs> he's tall. And he's big. There's when I was in high school, I think he was an assistant coach for like freshmen or something like that. And I'd run into him in the hallways. 
He's a pretty big guy. Well, he wasn't that big in high school, but but he still kept playing. I mean, he was, yeah, he was something else. There's always guys that aren't on these lists. You know, there's some other great players that... I just decided to change this up. We'll All do, right. We'll do eight for boys and eight I don't for know girls. How many do we get? I don't even know. We'll do eight for boys, eight for girls. So we'll start from the top. We got Hamill. Aunt Willie Hanson. Jason Crown. No, sorry. Jeff Crown. Jeff Crown. Jason Crown was pretty good, too. Rick Jacobs. Rick Jacobs went to Centenary D1 school and played. Mark Cooper, great player. That's five. That's only five. Well, I said Terry Jacobs. If I was going to get a... So Rick and Terry? The brothers, yeah. Oh, that's they, six. That's not a bad... Terry wasn't that tall, but I'd take him playing defense. And he could score, too. Uh, let's try to throw some other ones in that are more than, than modern. I, I could see having James Carroll on my team. Too. Great athlete. Great athlete. Could do a little bit of everything. Um, just a score. He. I don't know how many. Th- he. He never. Probably never made five threes in his whole high school career. But he was unbelievable at getting to the basket. If he missed the shot, he had this uncanny way of finding his own rebound and then putting it in or getting fouled. You know. So how many is that? Seven. That's seven. I got one more. You got one more player. Trojan, boys Trojan to put on this all-time Trojans list. This is oh, hard. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I'm looking, I'm going to look at this season list, or the season starting list, because there might be somebody that I'm kind of... I mean, you could put on Brandon LaChance if you want to. Really? <laughs> I, here's, here's another, John Whitmore. He played at uh, Louisiana Tech. I mean, he was he played in the 60s. He was an inside player, so I think we needed another inside player. So there was three players that you said that I've never heard of. Him mm-hmm. and then the two brothers. Well, Rick graduated in 71. Terry graduated in 72. If you're going to say argue about who the two best teams were in Mendota history for boys, it always comes down to 71 and 96 teams. My dad coached the 71 team. I was a sophomore, so I saw that. That team averaged 91 points a game. Just unbelievable. and That's a lot of points in high school basketball. Part of that, well, it was a, the way they played. They were fast, brave, you know. And that's, they didn't know threes back then. Rick Jacobs, Jerry Poole, those guys could shoot three-point distance. There were shots being taken from that range. They just didn't count as three. But they, they pressed pretty much the whole game, man-to-man or zone press. So the pace was constant, and they had eight good solid players that could come in and out and play. They went 27-2, unfortunately got beat in the sectional championship by a team that normally you hired that had some really good players that went on to play you know, in college and stuff. The 96 team, I happened to be the sophomore coach at Mendota that year. That was the team that had the Jeff Cryling, uh, Chris Safranek, Brian Boyer, Eric Duke, Derek Kilmartin, Four guards with Kryon. Uh, they were they didn't score as many points. The game had changed by them, but they that team was very good because they could control the ball. They they had the ball handlers. They could they could play up tempo if they wanted to. They could kind of dictate the tempo by how they you know how they could handle the ball. And all of them could score if you didn't guard if you wanted to pack it in on Kryon, which some teams did. 
the other guys could shoot and score. So uh, they were incredible, and they actually made it to state. I was actually surprised that you didn't say Eric Dukes earlier and put him in your, your team. Because he's a, he's a guy that a lot of people usually bring up. Um, Eric Duke, as far as athletes go in Mendota, was outstanding. I mean, he played D1 baseball. He, I believe he made All-State in football and played varsity basketball for four years. So, yeah, he was a great athlete. But in, as far as the top eight basketball players? Just outside. He was very good. But I would not put him even close to the top eight. No disrespect to him. He was very good, for sure. Definitely. Let's switch over to girls. Who you got? All right. Well, you got to have Jackie Bice, for sure. Anybody that scores over 2,000 points needs to be on there. Uh, Sammy Crumb, for sure, is an inside player. I have Amelia. You have to have Amelia up there, for sure. For two sisters, I would... So you'd have three Broman Shankles, and definitely in your top eight. Now it gets harder, but I have the list in there. So you need three more, you got five. Yeah. Tracy Stroyan only played at Mendota two years, scored almost 800 points. I don't really remember seeing her play, but I would think athletically she could still play. She was an outstanding volleyball player that played in college, and she went to state and track and different things. And she played basketball here in the early 80s. Like, like I said, she went to Pawpaw and then came here and scored nearly 800 points in two years. They didn't play as many games back then either. So that's another thing about these scoring lists. That, you know, we didn't play as many games when I was in school or, you know, that they do now. Like now they pretty much, if they play all these tournaments and everything they have and scheduled all their games, they'll have 30 games before they even start the regional. We didn't play that nearly that many games. So that's another thing about this. How many girls we got now? I'm making excuses to not name them. <laughs> we were at six. You got two more. I got two more spots. I like Jamie Crumb, Sammy's sister. Now, Jamie Crumb played with Jackie Bice. And, like, scoring-wise, she didn't even get to 800. But she missed some games because she was hurt. She played in college, too, and she was a very good ball handler, defensive player, a role player that did whatever, a great competitor that needed to do whatever, you know, to help the team win. So I got one more girl. One more. One more girl. Is there any more Bromachenko girls I can throw in? <laughs> you got three um, already, though. See, there was Ashley Lewis was a good player, yeah. Amy Devitt. I'll go with Amy Devitt. She, I mean, she played, th had three really solid years playing varsity basketball on a very good team with the Bromachenko Twins. So then they won a lot of games. So I, I'll stick with that. Sorry to put you on the spot. No, that's okay. I, I don't I, know if it was on the spot because I, I um, gave you time to think. I played with a guy named Gary Metzen. He was a year older than me, but um, he's not on the scoring list. Partly because we didn't play as many games. Partly because he played with me, so and Terry Jacobs his senior year, so we had three guys that averaged over 17 points a game, and we averaged 86 points a game. Uh, and then when he was a junior, he was playing with the Jacobs brothers and um, Jerry Poole. They're three of the top scorers there, so he didn't even start his junior year, and he was an incredibly good athlete and player. They were just loaded with players. He was like the first guard off the bench his junior year. If he would have some circumstances he would have for surely been 
one of the you know these guys, but he didn't play as much because the guys ahead of him were so good, you know. Just one of those circumstances we were talking about earlier. Just depends where. How many? Yeah. How many good players there are? Who's? Kevin Phelan. I played varsity his sophomore year. He's he's one of the top scorers. For, he's 14th right now. He didn't play varsity his freshman year, but his sophomore year he he had a great year. His junior year he only scored 200 some points because he got hurt. So he missed a ton of games, and then his senior year he scored 560. So he still scored over a thousand, but his his junior year he got hurt and missed a bunch of games. He could shoot three. He had three point shooting range. He was about six four and could play inside. You know, and, and like if I would have named him as one of the top eight, that would have been a bad thing. But I didn't want to load it up too many. Of the, like I want to name all the guys I played with so they don't get mad at me or um, more so than the like like an Eric Duke. You know, I watched Eric Duke, but I still think they're he was really really good. But there's other guys that, are, that were more better, I think. Yeah, for sure. That's all opinion. That's what we do here. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Pat, thank you for coming and joining us for SWRC yeah. Podcast. This has been a lot of fun. Oh, we yeah. for a while. I always like talking to you. I, you know that. Yes, it's always fun. Always fun. Thanks for being a listener. Now yep. you're a contributor. Now, yep. you're, now you're part of this thing. Honored to be on it. It was a lot of fun. Perfect. We'll have to do this again. I'll do it.